0: Sometimes I think the pastor just needs to say, people are singing, worship is happening, just keep singing, just keep singing, just keep singing. I know that uh, that just freaks out folks who are more time-oriented than I am. Sorry. I haven't done it yet. Nice to be back, though. Um... Both Pastor Tim and I went to uh, warmer climates while you were getting rained on. Did you get rained on, Tim? Uh, sprinkles. sprinkles. Sprinkled. There was some sprinkling on the other side of the island where I was as well. We drove to the sprinkles and came back. Um, Pastor Tim was taking a class in the Pentateuch in Southern California. For those of you who didn't hear the announcement earlier, um, the, fir- you know, the first five books of the Bible... Pastor Tim was learning extra Hebrew. He, was, he is now sharper in his sword than ever before. As of this minute, that class has sharpened the sword and he's ready to rock. He was talking to me about some of the things in class. I'm hoping that we hear some of, this, uh, some of your fresh learning in your sermons in the, in the weeks ahead. Um, uh, as Brendan and I were in Hawaii, we were uh, there for a wedding. Um, and uh, it, was, it was tough duty, but somebody had to do it. And Tim had a class, so you know, so so, such are the breaks. Um, it was a good time. We had a, we had a, a joyful time. Uh, first time we'd ever been to a resort, and that was interesting. Never uh, never experienced that before. It's kind of like being on a cruise, but being on land. Those of you who've been on a cruise, you know, they, there's lots of stuff around and they're, they're things to do everywhere around you all the time. And um, it was a good thing. Uh, if you're if you're not accustomed to reading the blog. It, it, You can see how I might spoil that myself. Just go read the the blog from the church this week. Because you still take yourself everywhere you go. It's one of the truths of life. Wherever you go, there you are. And so whatever attitudes you take with you, you take there as well. Already did. Um, Those of you who maybe missed the announcements, we are there because uh, Catherine Dobkins, who was the first baby born in this church after I arrived, uh, when I arrived here, Doris Dobkins was uh, large with child. Two weeks later, she had her baby. And um, Catherine's been the measurement of my, uh, my tenure here. Um, and Catherine is old enough to be married now, so I've been here long enough to be her dad. And also, I have, uh, I, we, we had a promise that we wouldn't go anywhere until Catherine was married, so I'm a free agent as of now. Pray for me. whatever, <laughs> from the front row. Um, this, I, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of the pastor of the Ephesian church after St. John? Have you ever heard of the bishop of the church in Jerusalem after Jude? Have you ever heard of the Bishop of Alexandria? Or any of the bishops of Rome after Peter? Have you ever heard of the pastor of the Corinthian church after Paul planted it? Me either. I could go look them up and probably find some of them, but they're they're not even all on the internet. You can't even find all of them in Wikipedia. They make stuff up in Wikipedia and they wouldn't make this up. Because after these superstars passed by and planted these churches, the people who picked up from there and continued to carry the message forward drifted into the obscurity of history. Right? We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. If you think about it, most of the people who have ministered for God over the history since Jesus' resurrection have done so in relative obscurity. We know that Dr. Livingston went to Africa, but do you know who followed him? Do you know who in those thousands of campfires and villages across Africa, who he visited, who who locally in in those villages continued the preaching of the gospel to make Africa one of those places today that is growing fastest in Christianity? Do you know who has been behind the Iron Curtain in communist Russia sharing the gospel for the last 50 years? Who has been behind that same Iron Curtain in China sharing the gospel for those same periods of time? Yet the estimates in China are that the church grew by 14 million people while under communism. Obscure, intentionally, in the ministry They're performing. Unknown to us, but not unknown. Today I want to talk about three disciples who are the other guys. You start going through the list of disciples, and unless you memorize them really well, you start kind of losing yourself near the end. Part of it's not your fault because they have different names. They keep exchanging names around these guys at the end. One of them has like four different names in different places in the gospel. And so you're kind of looking at them going, I don't know that guy's name because he has lots of names or you have to name like 16 disciples to get all the possible names in. These are the guys near the end of the list before Judas, the last three before Judas, sort of. So if you you divided this thing up into quadrants, right, into sets of four, groups of four, that last four, that last four, We've already talked about Judas Iscariot. So here are the disciples. Mark, if you were just kind of trying to go through that list in your name. Mark chapter 3, and it's a little different in various places. So he appointed the 12. Who's the he? Jesus. Who appointed the 12? Did he appoint the last guys who you don't know the names of very well? Just as much as he appointed the first guys. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, always goes first. James, son of Zebedee, always goes second. John, the brother of James, always goes third. To whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas. We're going to get to Bartholomew next week. And Thomas and James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the king. And Judas Iscariot. Who betrayed him. You know the last guys before Judas there? James son of Alphaeus. Also comes called Shorty. Or James the lesser. Thaddeus. One of the names he's called. He's also called Nathanael. He's also, well we'll get to it. And Simon the Canaanite. Those are the guys we want to talk about today. James, Thaddeus, and Simon. Those guys at the end of the list. James, the son of Alcius, Simon, called the zealot. And Judas, son of James. Catch a different name? These are the obscure apostles. James, son of Alceus. Alphaeus called James the lesser. You have James the greater. That's the brother of John. He's the first martyr in the church. He's killed by Herod and it emboldens Herod to, to take Peter and John and put them in jail as well. <clears throat> but in fact, he isn't able to, to deal with them in the way he dealt with James. <clears throat> but James dies very, very early in the ministry of the disciples. Shortly after Jesus, James the, the, the greater is killed. And James, son of Alphaeus, is the one that remains. Now, if you, if you read Acts and you think carefully through it, you read about the two Jameses at the beginning. And once James the greater passes away, once he's martyred, then you only hear of one James after that in the book of Acts. He's mentioned a few more times, but only this James is mentioned. There's no reason to call out which one it is, because everyone reading Acts knows that James the Greater has already passed away. Simon the Zealot. Now this word, this uh, or Canaanite, which he's also called, it actually means zealot. That's what that, that, that Aramaic word there means. It means a zealot. That's why it's translated later by Luke, just zealot. Because Luke wants, to, wants the audience to understand who he's talking about. And so when Luke is speaking in Greek to the people, he just says, hey, this, we're not giving you the Aramaic for this. He's just the zealot. This is James the zealot. Now, you've got to understand, a zealot, that's a, that's a pretty specific thing, right? Do you have any friends who are zealots? Do you have any friends who are zealots for Apple computers? Do you have an Apple, Apple computer zealot, friends? Isn't it interesting how iPhones and Apple computers can pr- produce zealots? I don't know any people who's really a zealot for IBM. I don't know anybody like that. Do you have any friends who are zealots for a specific kind of restaurant or a specific restaurant? They just, they got this zeal, they they just go for it. Hey, you got to go see this, you got to eat that, you got to try this. Oh yeah, you got to, this particular kind. How, what do you mean you don't like that kind of food? What's wrong with you? Right? Do you have any friends who are zealots for their political party? Ooh. We just had a presidential election. Now that it's serious. Now we're talking. Some of you have defriended your zealot friends on Facebook in the last couple months. Or you've put them on the, I'm not checking what they put out anymore list, right? And if you, I don't care which side it is. We know both. we have friends on both sides who are zealots, right? Of course, you're not a zealot. You're just right in the middle of the road. You define middle of the road. You define a balanced opinion. Ask your friends. If you're a husband, ask your wife. Then this is the guy with all the names. Judas, brother of James, not Iscariot. I like the fact that they throw that in there. This is not Judas Iscariot. Known as Thaddeus and or who is surnamed Thaddeus. He's also sometimes called the son of James, which, by the way, is simply a matter of a Greek declension. There's no word in there that says son or brother. There's just a Greek declension. And depending on which Greek declension you might use, you end up with son or brother. So I'm really thinking that it's mostly leaning towards brother in my mind. And he's also called Jude. Do you know why this guy gets all the names? Why would you have a lot of different names? Tax purposes, right? No? No? His name is Judas. If that were your name, wouldn't you want a nickname? If after World War II, your name was Adolf, wouldn't you have gone for another name? Same deal here. So the disciples and Judas, they're all... The, Ju, Judas, not Iscariot, that wants people to know that he's not Iscariot. This is a different guy. Hey, just call me Jude. It'll work just fine for me. Hey, Jude, he wrote a book... It's at the end of your Bible. And that's the end of my range. Okay. But he, he gets all of these names because he's trying to avoid being called Judas. Nobody wants to be called Judas. Still nobody wants to be called Judas. Right? Or Brutus for that matter. I'm going to show you a series of, uh, of images here that have the, uh, the, uh, the artist's interpretation of of what this particular person looked like, okay? These are all uh, taking, taken from St. John of Lateran Church in Rome. But what I really want you to catch is what they have in their hand. You see that he has that big stick in his hand and a book tucked under there. Because James, son of Alphaeus, is the, uh, the uh, person who's done this, done this statue, has agreed with the idea that he wrote the book of James. Which has a whole bunch of other connotations and conversations we should have, but we don't have time for that. But he also has a big stick in his hand. Do you see the stick, because according to the story about what happened at the end of his life, James was thrown off a tower of the temple, stoned when he hit the ground, and finally beaten with no, what, with, with that stick known as a Fuller's club. That's what all that's about. He's at the whole story's right there. He's got his bi- his book that he wrote under his arm and he's got that long stick a fuller's a wash washman, right? What person who washes clothes? And they would have the, the big like bowl that they're washing in and they would use that stick to agitate, you know? Get the picture? Washing clothes, washing clothes, washing clothes, flip the clothes, stir the clothes, wash the clothes, right? Okay? So he had this big stick. And that's the the way they describe the end of his life. Thrown off the temple. That wasn't good enough. They stoned him when he hit the ground. That wasn't good enough. They beat him with a stick. You know what he did? He was the bishop of Jerusalem. And he taught people about Jesus. That's what he did. To get that kind of treatment. James the lesser's mother was present at the crucifixion. We know simply because the Bible says, there were also women looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene. By the way, we could throw Mary, the mother of Jesus. There are three Marys here. Mary, Mary, Mary. Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph. And Salome, who was whose mom? Do you remember? James and John's mom who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee. You know why, why all these women were following Jesus? He had 12 young men to feed. He needed an army of people to help him out. And so all their mommies came to help out because they knew that these guys were going to be in trouble if they didn't have somebody to babysit. So you think about it. Mary, the mother of James, the lesson, and Joseph, and Salome, they're following Jesus around. They have kids in this mix. And I'm going to get to you in a minute. You might see that there's three kids that in this James family as well. He is perhaps the brother of Levi, who is also listed as the son of Alphaeus. James, son of Alphaeus, brother of Jude, and perhaps brother of Levi, all from the same family. Why was their mom there? She's got three kids in this little army. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Levi, or Matthew Levi, son of Alphaeus, brother of James, son of Alphaeus, brother of Jude, James' brother. And just to throw you off so you can think about this for the rest of the day, perhaps a cousin of Jesus. Just put that in your whole memory bank there and Work that over because you're gonna, you could spend the afternoon looking through the scriptures at these places where these names appear. You'll find that I I'm, I'm, might be right. It's possible I'm right once in a while. Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot has a saw in his left hand and a book. What's interesting about Simon the Zealot is that, it, that he is uh, thought to have perhaps written Jude, but the saw is what I want to talk to you about. That's one of those saws that's run by two guys. You know, one on each end. You know why he's holding it? Sawn asunder. You know what he did? He spread the gospel of Jesus around the Middle East. He went north and started spreading it up into what would be uh, the Black Sea region. Somebody didn't like him, grabbed him off the street. He preached about Jesus. The first century zealots, just so you get a picture, you know what I like about this is it reminds me of what happened in the United States with the American Revolution. Why did the American Revolution happen? Anybody know? Taxes. If we did what they did over a small raise in taxes, there would be a revolution a week. This also happened in the first century. After this, this is actually Gamaliel speaking, this man arose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of taxing and drew away much of the people. Now remember why Jesus went down to Bethlehem? So that he could be registered by the Romans for the purpose of taxes. When that happened, this guy, Judas of Galilee, raises up a group of people. They become known as the party of the zealot. They become known as the party of the zealots. We have a member of Jesus' inner circle who's a terrorist. Member of a political party who's inciting revolution. Hmm, Crazy, isn't it? You look at the group of people around Jesus. These are not your squared away types. They need a little boot camp to fix them. He says, even as many as followed him were dispersed eventually. They were a political movement that existed to try to incite the people of Judea to riot, and they lasted until the first rebellion against Rome, 70 AD. Simon was a zealot, an anti government political party, a revolutionary. This is like Che Guevara in the midst of the disciples. The good news is Jesus seems to have gotten a hold of him before he got Che Guevara's bad rec- record. I really don't know why Che Guevara is on t-shirts. He's a murderous thug in my mind, but <coughs> that's just another p- political opinion. Moving along. Judas, not Iscariot. Judas, the brother of James, son of Alphaeus, perhaps brother of Levi, son of Alphaeus. I never listed that way. That's why I have to say Perhaps. I want to know who this guy, Alpheus was. If you're the father of three of the disciples, you've had a major impact on the world. We met mom. Her, her name is Mary. She's one of the triune Marys. But that, this, this guy's children leave the farm. We think they're probably farmers because of some of the language that is used in the book of James. These guys leave and go follow after Jesus, three of his sons. That's a pretty major impact. And we don't know anything about him except his name. You want to talk, talk obscurity? At least his sons made the list. He's in the list as a footnote. Oh, by the way, these were the sons of this guy. And you know why they give him a name? Why they, why they do that with James, son of Alphaeus? Simple. They don't want to confuse him with James, son of Zebedee. It's really not talking about Alphaeus. It's just an an attempt to not get your mind all mixed up with all the Jameses. We finally have a quote. One of these guys is finally heard to speak. Now, it's interesting if you look in John 14. If you want to know why you hear obscure people, Thomas, Philip, and James in this text, in this passage, this is kind of the only place you hear from these guys. Jesus has just told Peter in chapter 13, you will deny me. And maybe for the first time in the three years of the Gospels, Peter's quiet and somebody else gets to talk. It may just be, and some of you know this because some of you have been around people like me, some of you are quiet and thoughtful about the words you throw out into the world. And you've sat in a room with people like me who seem to just let words, let let them fly without a filter. And you're like, what's up with this guy? I can't get a word in. Imagine being in the disciples group. With Peter. So now Peter gets silenced by Jesus for a chapter. And we hear from three of these people we've not heard of. Thomas, Philip, and Judas. This is Jesus' words in the red. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. There's a lot more before this, but I want you to get the gist of it. It's about Jesus saying because of the fathers and my connection and their connection with me, there'll be a revelation within. Judas, not Iscariot, but the disciple with the same name, clear, let's make this clear, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Remember, the disciples want Jesus to start this big movement. The disciples want Jesus to become the king on the throne and run Israel and and push out the Romans. They want this kind of, this kind of, empire to get started with Jesus as the emperor and so he's saying why aren't you just letting the whole world see Jesus then explains if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and and we will come to him and make our home with him I I want you I want you to stop and look at the process the process is a relationship. Do you see it? Anyone who loves me, well, he's going to follow my words. He's going to do the things I'm telling him. He's going to listen to my teachings and actually put them into application in his life. He's going to actually look more like me than like him in the end. And when he does that, this interesting, cool thing is going to happen because the Father and I are one. He won't just have me with him. He'll have the Father with him, and we will actually inhabit him. This relationship will be so deep that we will actually dwell in Him. And He's going to go on and talk about the Holy Spirit after this. But I want you to get this connection. (coughs) He says... If you have this kind of a connection with you, fall in love with me, it transforms your heart. And when it transforms your heart, it transforms your behavior. That's why the Bible can talk about the fruit of the indwelling spirit. Something happens on the outside because of something that's happened on the inside. And as this process moves forward, this relationship grows closer, we actually will indwell the person. Hi, this doesn't look like, you don't look like you're excited about this. This is exciting stuff right here. The relationship will be so close that we'll live in there. It'll be cool. So cool. Now remember, these guys you've never heard of are real disciples. Right? Just because we don't know who they are, haven't heard much about them, there isn't even much recorded from them, They're still real disciples. They were selected by Jesus. Out of all the people alive in the first century in in Israel, these three guys make the cut. Ninth grade. I've been playing baseball for about six years. I get ready. I go out for for the freshman baseball team. My school was pretty big. We had a freshman. We had JV, and we had varsity. So we are out for the freshman baseball team. We go out, we have tryouts, we bat, we, gl- we play in the field, we do the whole thing. Been doing that for years. Every, every time we play Little League, you have tryouts at the beginning, except when you're staying on the same team, and they kind of already know who you are. So I'm, it's not an unusual thing. We're walking through the whole process, and, and um, they, the, the list comes out, and I know there's going to be like 25 guys on the team. There's 26 on the list. The last two, me and Rudy Garcia, have a note. See the coach. It's like, oh, that can't be good news. So Rudy and I show up for extra tryouts. Extra tryouts. I had played baseball with Rudy in in the little leagues around town for a while now, and we'd gone to school together since seventh grade. So Rudy and I were friends, not enemies, and we, we, we we knew each other. And so we're out there, we're kind of talking about what this is. You realize what this is. One of us is in and one of us is not. And of course, I thought I was the guy who was going to be in and Rudy thought he was the guy who was going to be in. And so we went out there and we, we played. We basically, we basically took a few pitches and we ran the outfield and he just kept hitting balls at us. I was an excellent outfielder. I could throw the ball from the fence and center field to home plate without bounce. Cool, eh? Today it would break my arm to do something like that. So we play. We're out there for about, oh, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 minutes. The coach is doing this. He keeps going. If, if, this long of a tryout means that we're both on the bubble for him, right? End of the tryout. We walk up to the coach. We're, you know, we're hot. We're sweaty. We've got our gloves in our hands. We're like, okay, what's up? I'll tell you guys tomorrow. Next day at school, we go in to see what the coach has posted. Now he's posted a new list and there's one less guy on it. And it was me. I've looked back on that several times and thought, I wonder, because all of our baseball games were on Fridays and Saturdays, if God was saying, well, see, I want to make God the the, uh, reason I didn't make the baseball team. (laughs) Not my lack of ability. But I don't know. What I wanted to, to, to illustrate is that these guys made the cut. These were above the coach's line, right? This is the line. They're above the line. So whether or not we know their names isn't as important as we might think. Who cares, Simon the Zealot? He made the cut. Judas, not Iscariot, made the cut. James, the third son of Alphaeus in the group, makes the cut. Maybe he makes the cut because he's a cousin. But you could check that out. They walk with Jesus for three years. These guys are with everybody else, walking in with Jesus and talking and listening, sitting around the campfire, having meals. They're walking with Jesus. They're present for Jesus' many miracles. These guys are there. They are a part of the triumphal entry. Here's Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. These guys are mainstays in the parade. These guys you've never heard of right there next to Jesus as he enters the city of Jerusalem, they're at the Last Supper. You know, when Jesus says, one of you will deny me, and the Bible says, and all each of the disciples said, is it I? Their voices rung out in the choruses of, is it I, is it I, is it I? I? Simon the Zealot. Is it me? I can picture myself doing that. These guys are in the upper room. Holy Spirit descends on all of the disciples. Fiery tongues. These guys are part of the presenters at the first evangelistic seminar out on the street moments later, preaching and heard by the crowd in their own language. These guys are in the inner circle of all of that. They're evangelists to their generation. Stop and consider this. Each of these men died telling the world about Jesus because they were telling the world about Jesus. Obscure, unknown like us. There's nobody writing books about your life, right? Maybe some of you. Not me. I don't expect a documentarian to show up at my house and say, you have lived such an amazing life, we're going to make a movie. You? Most of us live and work in relative obscurity. We testify of Jesus to our friends or our family In the obscurity of that life, and yet, just like them, essential to the work of God. To be faithful followers of Jesus who look like Him to the world around us is essential. To be clear in our testimony about what He's done to us and for us is essential to be part of a family where we can support those who have come bearing a burden on that day is essential to the gospel. Obscure as we may feel, as small as our part may look to us, each and every one, like the last piece in the puzzle, is essential to completing the picture. Here are these men. There's so little said about them that you have to rely on the possibilities woven through what might be in the little bits of lists. And yet, some of us would trace our spiritual heritage to their testimony. Some of us are here today because they started a chain that leads to you, leads to me. I'm looking forward to that test. We want to see the, 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 the tree of life's genealogical spread. That's the one I want to see in heaven. To whom do I go to say thank you? And the further along we are, down the list, the more people we get to thank. And these three men, are going to be on some of our lists. Likely, a third of those lists. In the beginning, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon called Zealot, Judas' son, and as I've told you, I think that should be brother of James. Jesus summoned them. And he gave those guys authority over unclean spirits drive them out and to cure every disease and every illness. In the end when they arrived they went up to the stairs to the room of the house where they were staying. By the way this is a stop in Israel that I have poo-pooed I'm, I'm less likely to do that having I'll, I'll tell you about it sometime hear of the names of those who were present. Long list get to the end of the list, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas. Lost in obscurity? Oh, no. Unknown to us, but not unknown to God. Essential to the spreading of the gospel are the voices of the unknown, unsung heroes. Your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. That's your promise, my promise, their promise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize that we are far from Heroes in our own mind. The mirror test reminds us that except for your mercy and your grace, we have no testimony, nothing to share, nothing to add. But we also realize the essential nature of telling someone else what you're doing for us and what it's possible for you to do for them. Lord, when we're here at the church sometime when no one else is here, cleaning up, setting up, painting something, fixing something, when we're out in our job or in our neighborhood sharing some news about you and and we're tempted to think, what's the use? Remind us of James, Simon, and Judas, our brothers in obscurity. And remind us of how essential it is to the spreading of the gospel across the face of the planet and through the heart's door of every person that we speak, that we serve, that we labor even in obscurity. In Jesus' name. I
1: once was lost me to repentance, your loving kindness.
2: Father, indeed, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but your blood. And Father, though most of us will indeed live a life of obscurity, it doesn't matter, but because of the blood of the Lamb, we too have made the cut. We can be disciples. We long to be disciples. Lord, help us live lives that speak that we are your children, that we love you. Even if we never witness out loud with words, let us witness with our lives as we live each day. Go with this this day as we go our separate ways. May we have a, a blessed Sabbath reflecting on your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated for those standing. A couple of reminders for you all. Um, today is the very last day to get... Pictures for the directory over in uh, the room in the back just between services. Uh, your bulletin says it'll happen after church. That will not happen. Al and Lou need to leave right after they do pictures. So if you don't have your picture in the directory yet, we'd love to have your picture there so we can tie the names and faces together. And also right after we're done right here, Walt will be up here for a few minutes to talk about the Israel trip. So If you're thinking about going wondering if you want to go, trying to figure out what the plan is, come on up and hear a little bit about that after. And then we'll go ahead and have a break for a few minutes, refreshments in the back, and discipleship classes will follow shortly with our youngsters down the halls for the most part, youngest in the back, and adult classes mostly through here with the exception of class in the back Sabbath school room. So have a wonderful Sabbath, and it's great to be back too.